cliffcentral.com. All right, uh, cliffcentral.com on a Thursday morning and the first uh, burning platform in a long time where we are brought to you by cliffcentral.com. <laughs> That's the plan for this morning. The um, the real old team is here, the, the old and the real team. And I don't mean old in terms of years. I just mean from the beginning. Uh, Pumi Mashiho. It's okay. No, no, it's no. okay. It can be in terms of years too. I you, can You don't that. mind that, hey, Pums. And then, uh, and Canton, who will join us in a moment or two, Canton Pele. And we're going to talk a little bit about some of the things that happened last week, because that's a big story in the news. It has been for a little bit, and we haven't really addressed it. You know, it's, it's something that, um, clearly got, you know, got a lot of attention. And, um, I want to, I want to figure out why and what we can learn from this. So I would love to hear what your thoughts are. And I'm going to start off with you, Pums, because, is there stuff we can learn from this? I mean, you know, I've got, <laughs> I've got this, I've got a, a, a personality that doesn't rub everyone up the right way. And I often say things that I think to the detriment of myself and sometimes to the ire of a great many other people. But I want to know what you think of the whole thing, especially because you weren't even here last week. And, and I do think if you were here, maybe things would have been different. Um, so, what what do you feel having had the benefit of like a few days of hindsight and having been objective because you weren't even involved? What do you have to say about that? Gareth, I think more than anything, it's, I suppose for you, having had the opportunity to watch, speak to a lot of people, listen, see all of the stuff is what you think um, could have been done differently, could have been done better. And more, more than anybody else, I think it's it's sad that you have, for a week before the elections, the biggest news story in the country is you, who's not even on the ballot. People aren't voting for you, mm. and 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 a very missed opportunity for both the parties that were on last week to put across and win voters, win the hearts and minds. Of voters, but for for you, I mean, you've had you've had a, a long, grueling week of everybody and their cat having something to say. Well, there's there's another part of this I want to ask you about, and and this is um, to do with Nando's statement, which I, I'm just going to read that out quickly because, you know, I'm really not um, in any way angry with them. You know, I think that they they did whatever they had to do, and they did it because. Corporations have to make decisions sometimes which are uncomfortable and difficult. But I'm just going to read like, just from their statement because I think it's, it's really instructive and helpful um, for us to figure out what we may do differently. And I, and I agree with you. Like, there are things that we could do differently going forward. This has always been a place where we must talk honestly and openly. This has always been a show and a platform where I believe we shouldn't have to uh, worry about politeness and niceness when we can worry about the the more kind of important issues and especially around an election i'm going to bring canton in on this one but i need to ask you this Pumi. hi canton how are you morning guys morning morning good to be back so in in their statement they they made a couple of statements about how they they felt that I was rude to uh, Muzuli and that it was a question of her not having a chance to speak which if you listen to the, the show, I don't feel like she did a bad job of representing herself at all. And I think she actually did a really good job of arguing not only with me and, and doing so quite well. 
but also arguing with John Steinhazen quite well. She came into this. She was strong. But it seems almost when you read that statement, like they're trying to portray her as this weak and, and feeble woman who didn't manage to get a word in edgewise, and she was bullied around by these two white guys. You know, that's the way they put it. But I think she actually did a pretty good job. And if you listen back to the interview and you listen to the whole thing, um, she had her say. She said a lot of things. Um, I think I only disagreed with two of those things. But she had a, a, a massive opportunity here to, to, to do the right thing, and she did. I think she argued well for her party. She argued well going into the elections, what she and Musi and the other independent candidates that are part of the One Movement South Africa, um, that they, what they bring to the, the party. So I'm a little disappointed that they're almost making her seem like she lost or she was bad at this or she didn't know what she was doing because I think she did a pretty good job. But they're not responding to the entire show. They're responding to the two minutes that so many, I mean, thousands and thousands of people saw. Two minutes of 45 minutes. Mm. I think it was 50 minutes that you were eventually on the show. And in that two-minute clip, what everybody did see was everybody saw you not allow her to speak, speak over right, her. Right, right. Uh, not about what you were saying, but how you were saying it and not giving her the chance. I mean, she stood back in that moment to say, listen, if you're not going to let me speak and you're going to speak over me, then, you know, go ahead. But that, unfortunately, is the two minutes of a 45-minute conversation. And for those people who were listening in and the people who went back and watched to go and watch afterwards, because I'm the show. In yeah. the 45 minutes where she does comport herself yeah. in the way that she does, it was some really pretty good, strong points. Yes. That two minutes is what they're responding to. And in that two minutes, Garrett, that two minutes, you did lose your cool. No, I did. You did have a moment I'll, of... I'll like, own it. I'll own it. But that's also me. You know, I'm... I kind of I do erupt sometimes, and I'm 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 not the kind of person who I sound very dismissive sometimes. Mm -hmm. I can be quite brash. I own it. I, I totally accept that. That's kind of anyone. Uh, you, I don't know if you read that Daily Ma uh, Maverick article, um, which came out this week about that whole interchange, and I thought it was a really good article, which you know I didn't expect from the Maverick. I was <laughs> I was expecting something else from them, um, and they said, actually, you know, this is kind of my brand. This is what. This is why you come to the burning platform is because you're not going to get an easy ride. It's going to be, it's going to be tough. That's why you come here. You're not going to get a PR interview. Here's what the burning platform has always been for me. A searing hard look at the issues of the day, having the conversations that are difficult and hard to have in a manner that is probably the kind of way that most of us have these conversations in our lounges with our friends with you know around the braai with beers in our hands which is not the way that polite media has these conversations unfortunately what we also saw last week for me is is the fact that what we want from our politicians especially in south africa right now is i want a politician who can stand up to a bully even in the moment, like with what happened with you and Mutsuli, I wish she could have stood up to you more um, and shouted you back a little bit more. Because I think that's what happens when they're sitting in the rooms and they are 
tenders being fought over when they are sitting in the legislature and fighting for the rights of the people when they are mm. fighting for legislation to be passed or not passed i think that's the kind of experience that our politicians probably have and i don't want a politician that wilts away from that pressure i want a politician that will stand up and push back maybe we could save a billion or two from being stolen away from us canton what do you think Look, I was wanting to avoid getting drawn into this conversation. <laughs> Sorry. All right. There's a there's a couple of things that there's happen. a couple of things that no no there's a couple no. of things that I'd like to say. Uh, the first thing is that I'm glad it's uh, it it happened, and I'm glad it's done and dusted because I think if the sort of Democles in the form of Nando's withdrawing their sponsorship was going to be hanging over <clears> the show or indeed over the media in general. That was never going to be a good thing in terms of being able to keep the conversation open and honest and flowing. Mm. And I think that this is actually an opportunity in that we're now kind of freed ourselves from those shackles, so to speak. So that, that's that's the first point. The second thing is in terms of that particular conversation. Yes, Nando's absolutely took it out of context. And if we end up with a scenario where we are going to analyze every interview that ends up being a long form, and we want to end up taking clips out of context, we are going to have that situation all the time. We cannot prevent it. I do not believe that in this particular case that Nando's acted appropriately. I do not believe that the talking over was in fact talking over. It was actually a, a quick smackdown to say, hey, hang on a second. We are not talking about racism. We are talking about the local government election. We are not talking about your personal anecdotal uh, experience in terms of racism. No doubt you have experienced racism, but that's got nothing to do with the issues that we are actually discussing. Mm. And pussyfooting around this is not going to help us. Pumi, I must disagree that, you know, I, I think that Gareth was certainly brash, but Gareth is always brash. Yeah, sorry about that. There is no one, <laughs> there is no one that he is not brash with. And frankly, it, it's part of what actually keeps the conversation interesting, because if we're going to go down this path of indulging everyone who ends up with sob stories, and, and frankly, what Mutswili was coming up with was a sob story. And frankly, I'm tired of sob stories in terms of the South African context. We all have our sob stories to tell in terms of stuff that we've gone through. And remember that I have been doing exactly that type of thing of going up against racism in various forms since the time that I got my first job as a journalist at age 19, which was in 1980. Mm. So I've been doing this now nonstop for more than 40 years. That's why you've got that silver hair. And that's why I've got the silver hair and I've got the scars <laughs> to show it in various places. We need to actually grow a pair as a nation. And whether it's, it, it's a pair of testicles or whether it, 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 it's a pair of tits, by all means, let's do it. But we need to grow a pair as a nation. We cannot be playing this victim card every time a debate gets too hot to handle. And in this particular case, that's exactly what happened. We were going down a pathway of talking about the logistics of actually fielding independent candidates, the, uh, the, uh, the extent to which those independent candidates are able to, uh, to influence things. And frankly, Gareth was 
actually pushing against John Stienhuisen at that point and saying that he supports the idea of independent candidates. And instead of actually seizing the opportunity to talk about how um, uh, One South Africa, or whatever they call themselves, were going to be in a position to take advantage of that and make the country a better place at a municipal level, we went down this tired old path of race baiting. And the smackdown was absolutely essential. Look, Those I, of us who, who tune into the show, we don't tune in because we want race baiting. We get enough of that on all of the mainstream media. I'm, I'm, I'm tired of it. I'm happy to take like a, a little bit of what both of you have said. I mean, there are probably stylistic ways I could have been better at this. I mean, I, I, could have, I could have treated her with a little bit more respect probably because I do treat everybody the same when they come on this show, whether you're the party leader of the, of the opposition um, and I gave him a hell of a grilling. Wait, are, are you wanting to patronize? Are you wanting to patronize her by treating her differently to the way you no. treat other people? No, no, no. I want, I want to no, treat everybody no. the same. Because that's just wrong. Can't yeah. give him a chance to, yeah. to but I, but I, but with I, the benefit of 2020 Pumi, hindsight. Pumi, I'm talking over him. Do you mind? Yeah, that's exactly why I'm stopping you. Nonsense. <laughs> no, okay. So, so in terms of style and maybe good manners, I could have been slightly less abrasive. And maybe that would have had a different reaction. Um, I don't think that she has anything to be embarrassed about in terms of her contribution to the show. Um, I don't think John has, uh, John Stenhazen has either. I mean, they were saying he had a smirk on his face. They really are looking for like something where there is nothing there. And you can, you can accuse people of pretty much anything, you know, if you, if you're looking for a smirk on someone's face and maybe it's just shock because even John Stenhazen, I don't think was quite prepared for what happened in the aftermath of this whole thing. But my feeling is, like there seems to be uh, a lot of attention paid to certain things before elections every time. And maybe I walked into this one by creating a, a, a storm around something which is convenient for people to talk about before the election. As Pumi said, I'm not running for office. I'm not looking for votes. But I became the story instead of the week before election being about the the political parties or the independent candidates in the case of Muzuli. So that and could have, that could have been better calculated. This is the failing of our political parties. This is the failing of the political messaging at the moment. It's, we don't have, we hardly have any conversations about the municipal level, except for the time we had Dr. Makosikosa here, mm. who was one of the very few people yeah. who spoke very succinctly about what it meant for her and her standing. Almost all the political parties have been having this national conversation that doesn't mean anything. You see, you know, you see Cyril Ramaphosa in super spreader events everywhere around the country. Exactly. And you're like, yeah, but who's standing in that ward? Who's standing in that municipality? Mm. I mean, you know, IFP, EFF. I have, I have not seen a single poster with anybody except Julius on the EFF. And Julius is not in the wards. He's not in the wards. Yeah. He's not standing for I, mayor. I, He's not standing for I will say. Who's standing for mayor? We know at least who the mayor, uh, candid, mayoral candidate for the DA is right. here in Johannesburg. Who's that person for the EFF? Pumi, sorry to, sorry to interrupt you, but the, <laughs> EFF, the, the, EF, the EFF does not have a single ward in the country. Yeah, I know this. So, and so they're not going to get any more because they're so, not having so that conversation pretty, pretty that point, should be had. It's pretty pointless then putting up uh, a picture of a ward candidate when they're not going to win wards. But um, <laughs> I will, you I, get my logic. I will say that the EFF, despite um, I, I was saying the same thing as Pumi just the other day, in my ward, 
suddenly, um, at the beginning of last week, there were EFF posters up with the candidate for my ward. So that's not true in every ward. Um, but but oh, here wow. it happened. So suddenly something happened. I don't know whether they suddenly got some, some funds injected or if they decided they were going to compete a little bit more strategically, but something happened because there's suddenly posters of e- EFF candidates in my ward, for what it's worth. But we're still not having the true conversations that we should be having. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's, let's do the true let's conversations, do that. Pumi. <laughs> let's do that. So, guys, we've we've got a week. We've got a week to go. Before, well, not even. It's like a couple of days until the election. And they always do this thing in Britain where, for the day before the election, they're not allowed to campaign. Um, many of the parties are already wrapping up their campaigns. I see some of them ramping them up rather than wrapping them up. Uh, who do you think has has done well in campaigning for the, for the last couple of weeks? Because I haven't heard very much from the ANC at all. What are they going to say? Um, but but really, if if you had to rank the the parties in terms of their campaigning, what would you say about them? Sure, <laughs> I've heard so little in terms of uh, the various parties that, um, it, frankly, it's totally uninspiring. I'm going to be going to vote, but it's entirely on the basis that I've voted in every single election since 1994, and I've got no intention of actually breaking the habit at this point. Frankly, the party that's been most visible in terms of most voters, as far as I can see, has been Mashalba's lot. Yeah. They're the, they're the ones that have been most on the ground and um, have actually been um, going to the various constituencies, introducing candidates and doing all of the stuff that one actually needs to do in terms of local government elections. Um, I certainly haven't seen that type of thing in my suburb. What I have seen in my suburb is the ANC doing a drive-by, which, you know, wow. yay. Wow. You know, it's just, just the type of thing that I want to see in my suburb, isn't it? That, uh, um, you know, instead a, of actually... A drive-by. Uh, you know, <laughs> a drive-by, yeah, literally, literally. There was an <laughs> ANC convoy, you know, that, that went through the suburb with uh, uh, with Vote ANC and... Um, and making a great deal of noise and so forth. I don't know whether that's been the experience of people in other parts of the world. There have been individual candidates in many parts of the country that have been campaigning quite energetically. And, you know, I want to send a a quick shout-out to one of my former employees at ETV, Eben Janssen, Mm -hmm. um, who is running for mayor of Cape Town on the Dhaka Party. Oh, wow. On the Dacha party ticket. That's amazing. Yes, 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 he is. And, uh, and, and of course, the fascinating thing is that Facebook keeps banning, um, everything that he posts based on the fact that he's promoting, um, cannabis in the, in the process. Uh, you know, clearly, look, Eben's not going to end up being, uh, he's not going to end up being mayor because, you know, he's a, a single candidate in uh, a large municipality. I, I think he's running at Seapoint or somewhere like that. But, you know, I, I think certainly if, if I was a ward candidate, um, if I was in his ward, I, I would probably end up voting for him. Um, wow. But th- th- that's an example. There have been, I think there have been lots of individuals uh, around the place that have been doing that type of thing. I've, I've seen a lot of that happening in Durban in, in particular. Right. Uh, Phoenix is, is a particular hotspot right now in terms of campaigning. Um, there was uh, a fairly detailed interview that 
Schenge did with uh, uh, <laughs> no, no, seriously, yes, yes. I yeah. saw that, yes, saw yes, that. yeah, uh-huh. where, uh, where he was expressing solidarity with the people of Phoenix, and um, and effectively, he picked up the ball that had been dropped by the DA in terms of the. Uh, you know, they called you racist, we call you heroes. And he says, yes, I do call you heroes because, you know, you stood up for mm. uh, for rule of law and it's exactly the type of thing that uh, that I support uh, and I would have done. Well, I've got to throw in on that note. That was one of the things I said to John Steenhuisen on, on Thursday last week is I said to him, if you agree with those posters, and he did, he said he liked those posters and thought they were there to... You know, they were going to make a, a difference with, with those posters and it was going to help them get votes. I said to him, well, then why did you take them down and apologize? And he didn't have a good answer for that, did he? No, no, he didn't. And, you know, my comment at the time was, you know, take down the posters by all means, because, you know, they've had their quick shock impact and um, and the message has gotten across. So take them down, but apologize yeah, really, and you know, forcing your leader in in KZN to apologise. No, that that was bad move. Uh, no, it, it was seriously stupid, and I think that that actually cost them a lot because you don't want someone who's going to drop you when the chips are down. Uh, sorry, Nando's. Well, but- Corona's Corona's boring says John Steenhuisen looked like someone at the Durban July that was watching the race but didn't bet on a horse. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I think the, the saddest thing, though, that we're going to see out of this election, I think it was a bad idea to have it on a Monday and then have a long weekend. I think a lot of people are just going to take the long weekend and mm-hmm. they're not going to show up to vote. And what that's going to translate in is a lot more hung municipalities. Mm-hmm. So people, people, ANC is going to mobilize the people that they can mobilize to go and vote. Um, and a lot of people are not going to show up. I think that the DA has been hurt by events of the past couple of weeks. And, and they're, you know, like they're self-emulating, it seems, to be, yeah. you know, at Own every goals. turn. <laughs> Just like self-mutilating themselves. And, and for me, and the EFF, I think, has completely plateaued. So, Kevin, I do agree with you that I don't see the EFF gaining any more ground than what they had. They've got no municipality. They've got no wards. And they may still get, you know, kind of in the proportional representation space. They may get some numbers mm. up in there. But we're going to have a long four, five years of coalitions, of ineffective yeah. coalitions, because people are not going to show up to vote. Well, but let's, let's talk about those numbers. And I'm particularly interested in Johannesburg, obviously, because I live here, but also because it is the most important municipality in the entire country. Sure. And... For the last uh, in the last municipal election, we saw the ANC drop below fifty percent for the first time in, in in Johannesburg. But of course, what happened was that the ANC plus the EFF was still more than fifty percent. Yes. So the crucial thing now, in in, in terms of Johannesburg, uh, I, my prediction is that the ANC is going to drop further in the city of Johannesburg. Yeah. But the the question is whether the combined votes of the ANC and the EFF are still going to be more than 50%. And if it isn't, then for the first time, we've actually got an opportunity for a working government in uh, uh, in the city. Because then, in that scenario, <clears throat> you're not going to have the ANC and the EFF being able to gang up and continue running the city in the way that they have been doing ever since Mashaba stepped down. 
it means that in order to get a budget passed, you are going to have to have a lot of the smaller parties coming on board. So does that possibly mean that, well, you know, clearly the DA is going to be the second biggest party. But does that mean that Action SA, for example, might end up with enough votes to be a deal maker? Oh, mm-hmm. there's a strong possibility of that. Could it be the Freyad's Front Plus? I think there's an even stronger possibility that they will be one of those deal makers as well. Dark horses. I, can see. I think so. I don't think, yeah, I don't think they're dark yeah. horses. I think that they've been doing a lot of solid work on the ground. So, yeah. you know, uh, uh, Freedom Front Plus, I've not seen them in my ward, but. I, I watch lots of Facebook groups. I lots of, uh, watch lots of WhatsApp groups. Mm-hmm. There's and there's a there, there's a strong level of low key campaigning that has been happening uh, in those spaces, and they have messages that have actually been been resonating. And, and they I have taken <clears throat> they have taken a stance. I mean, I, I look at speaking of Johannesburg. What's happened here in this metropole? The Freedom Front Plus has fielded something like I think eight candidates, but they've put them in every ward because you can do that, right? So they're going to get that proportional representation vote. If they can get enough people getting in there and just voting for them, it may not necessarily be that their candidates are going to be ward councillors or that their candidate is going to be the mayor, but with the proportional representation vote, they're going to have enough power to, to swing some moves, I think. So which, uh, which municipalities besides Johannesburg are you going to be watching? Because the two of you are election nerds. Nelson right? Mandela Bay. I've, I've, I've seen oh, Nelson, abs- absolutely, I agree with yeah, I've, I've seen you. Too, is, I've is, seen you too. You're the kind of people, both of you, who sit there on election day and you, you watch those maps and you go into the different wards <laughs> and you go into the different like, towns and you see what's happening in the northwest in some obscure little place where it's gone from red to blue to green. I mean, that's what you guys do. So you're watching Nelson Mandela Bay. What else? And by the way, what, what do you think is going to happen in Nelson Mandela Bay? I mean, what is, what is your prediction? This is, this is a fun game of being Nostradamus for a day, but let's go. I, I, I think there's a possibility that the DA will take Nelson Mandela Bay. And the reason why I think that there's a strong possibility that that will happen is that so you had a scenario in the last municipal election where you had the DA running Nelson Mandela Bay and you had the DA running the city of Johannesburg. But there were very different things that happened in both of those spaces. So uh, Mashaba screwed up in Johannesburg big time. And, uh, you know, I've spoken about that at length. He didn't fix the traffic lights. He didn't fix the potholes. He didn't clean up the rubbish. The DA did that stuff in Nelson Mandela Bay. And because of that fact, for that very brief period of time, there was a moment of hope for the people in that in that city. And then you uh, you had the uh, the effective coup that took place where um, the was replaced. Yeah, thanks to the UDM. And the, the city went to hell in a handbasket. So on that basis, I think there's a strong possibility. Um, Shwane uh, municipality is another place that is going to be hung as well. Um, Ekuruleni is going to be hung this time. Remember, Ekuruleni was mm. actually hung last time as yeah, well. Yeah, that's right. There was a, there, there was a um, the ANC did not get a majority in that uh, in that city. The only reason why they were able to pull off running the city was because of the fact that they had the AIC come on board. I remember that the ARC yeah. was basically was the ARC was a breakaway from the ANC. Yes, who um, basically they broke away because they wanted um, Matatiel to be incorporated into KZN as opposed to the Eastern Cape. 
Right. And and so that was the sole thing that they brought to the table. They said, we will support you if you promise to do this. So the ANC did not follow through on their promise. I doubt the AIC is going to then get enough of a groundswell to be able to uh, be the deal makers this time round. I do think that the ANC will drop even further. So it's a very similar scenario to what we have in uh, in Johannesburg. Johannesburg. Yeah. Uh, okay. Mohale City is in exactly the same uh, position as well. So, Mohale remember, City you know, between, is, is what Krugersdorp, right? Is, yeah, no. it's basically Krugersdorp, Rudaport, uh, Ranford, West Rand. everything stretching out. In, yeah, the West Rand, everything stretching in that direction. And again, yeah, in, in terms of the overall makeup of the country, those uh, four metros, so it's uh, Joburg Metro, Chwane, uh, Ekuruleni, and Mohale City are... Um, among the biggest uh, metros in the entire country. Kotlenkosi, uh, sorry, Pums. Kotlenkosi says, yeah, keep yeah. an eye on Durban. Did you see the DA's poll? I didn't see a poll. Did you see this poll that Kutle is talking about? I did not see the DA's poll, but I think that Eteguini is definitely one to watch just mm. to see the temperature. It's important to, to gauge the temperature of what also happens in the ruling party, you know, yes. because KZN is one of their Good strongholds. Point. And, and, and a lot of things happen also because this, this election, even though we are at the municipal level, there are a couple of things coming up, you know, so there's going to be the ANC's national election. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do they call it? Their election conference. Yes. Then there's going, and, and then we're on the, you know, downhill slide to the national election, the next national election, which is going to be a big one. I think it's going to be a big one to see. And and then all of those things are going to be important to see how the voters, A, how the voters turn out, and the ones who do turn out, how yeah, they, they vote is going to be interesting. Um, here's an interesting comment from Sean. Sean says, let the EFF get a town or two and let's see what they can do. I mean, is there any, <laughs> is there any possibility that they will have a majority in any particular place? Because if they did, it might be interesting to see what they do with a municipality. It's like a dog who's chasing a car. You almost want them to catch it just so you can see what they'll do with it. I don't think that there's a possibility that um, uh, they will be able to win a municipality. But we might well have a scenario that is similar to what we had last time around, which was mm-hmm. the EFF saying to the ANC or the DA as well, well, We'll give you this metro if you give us the other metro. Mm-hmm. That that was something that they put on the table with the DA last time. The DA, uh, uh, fortunately, did not go along uh, with that. And look, I, I, I think I'm not in favor of actually you know, turning something into a train wreck just to see <laughs> what's likely to happen. You know, frankly. Yeah. I, I wonder if <laughs> And in Mohala yeah. City in, in Mohala City the EFF had a little bit of swing. You know, they, mm. they were a bit of the, the cake makers in that municipality. And they're not great at it. Guys, the the EFF is a bad idea. The EFF is a bad idea, and I think people know that. People see it, which is kind of why they're willing to give them the numbers at national level, but they're not so keen to 
like Catherine says, they're not so keen to like turn things into a train yeah. wreck just I mean, to see. I mean, which, just to see. Yeah, which no. which municipality are we going to surrender as a test case for this? I mean, it wouldn't be fair to the people who live in that municipality, obviously. Well, you see, not only would it not be fair, but what that would mean is that when the next election comes around, the people of that municipality are going to punish whichever party actually surrendered that municipality. <laughs> exactly. So that, that that's what that's what makes it extremely unlikely. I think that's the reason why the UDM is going to take a pounding in terms of uh, Nelson Mandela Bay, simply because of the fact they did exactly that, that they surrendered the municipality across uh, to the ANC. And we're going to see a lot of that happening. I think that uh, uh, the good party is probably not going to do as well as they could have done, simply based on the fact that um, their leader ended up in bed with the ANC again. Mm. Yeah, that, I so mean, uh, all, all all of this stuff is is pretty interesting. I also I do hope, and I, I I really mean this. I do hope some independents get enough votes to actually to show what independent people can do in a in a political system because we're such a party state. We're so used to the parties. I'd like one or two of these independent candidates to be able to make a difference, to have a chance to garner enough votes to have a a, a substantial say in in the running of maybe a ward or a municipality or even bigger. Mm, I think it's highly unlikely. You don't. You well, just, it's, it's not. Uh, in our, it's not in our culture. Huh? Look, no, no, no. I, I don't think it's unlikely. No. I, I, I think that we're going to be seeing lots of it happening, uh, uh, Pumi. In um, and we saw a lot of that happen in terms of by-elections over the past uh, five years. Remember that when we had scenarios where uh, the ANC forced out particular candidates of their own, those candidates then ended up re-standing in those wards as independents and winning those wards as independents. Mm. So we already have a precedent in terms of this kind of stuff happening. And I, I think we're going to see lots of independents popping up. But remember that all of these independents, without them having anything that actually binds them together, is not they're not going to be able to form anything that's kind of a coherent opposition. But it's they also might, be yeah. Because of the way that it, it, you see, this is, we, we get fucked by the proportional representation. It's the way in which it is organized. What are you, Catherine? No, really. Because then it takes a really strong politician to be able to, to move the dial. So as an independent, one of the things that, that's very hard is that you're stacked up against all these groupings of people who are organized a around a particular ideal. That's what was so exciting about Musimaimane's one mm. uh, movement when he started. But then, you know, as we're watching it kind of unfold, I don't know if we're quite sure if they, they know what it is that they need to be banding together around to move the dial. That's why I don't believe that we're going to see it make any difference. Uh, can well, I... you see the starting the starting point in terms of, you know, what do you stand for? And they said Ubuntu. And, you know, Ubuntu is not a system of government. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Did they say that? No. Yes. That yeah, that, 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 that's exactly the starting point. <laughs> All right. So, so I, I didn't to, see that. I need to ask you both a, a practical question. Um, and this is probably on behalf of many of our listeners this morning. What is the best time to vote? When, when the queues are at their lowest, is it early in the morning or late in the afternoon? Help me. I Guys, don't, I, 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 I don't think they're not going to be queues. <laughs> they're not going to be queues. Just go and vote. <laughs> so you must just go they're anytime. They're not going to be queues. Really? 
Okay, that's very practical. <laughs> if, I mean, if we just look at the, at the statistic at the <clears throat> last, uh, at the national election, in terms of the number of people who turned out, mm-hmm. so the ANC won an outright majority of about 62% with 11, just under 11 million people voting, but 15 million people were on the roll and didn't show up. Yeah. So this, you know, I saw somebody on the comments asking how to vote. How do you vote if you're outside of the country? Unfortunately, this time around, you you don't get to vote if you're outside of the country because we're voting for, we're voting about potholes. We're voting about the traffic lights. We're voting about the billing issues. So you've got to be affected by those things in order to be able to vote for them. Did you solve your billing issue, Camden? Did you? Did you ever solve your billing issue? (laughs) No, I've not solved my billing issue. Oh wow! <laughs> that was and that was under surprise, surprise. That was under Mashaba, right? That that all started. Yes, it did okay. start under Mashaba, and so uh, you gave and, it- and, and I think and I think it's going to be an ongoing uh, uh, thing. But uh, you know, I'm certainly not alone in terms of uh, of, of people who've been avoiding paying their municipal rates just simply because of the fact that the municipality is such a stuff up. And um, Mm. uh, the the fortunate thing is that I live in a municipality where they cannot cut off my electricity because I'm a direct ESCOM customer. Not that that counts for much these days, but uh, well, I'm well, I'm I'm off grid for all intents and purposes in any case. So, you know, my home is a a shining beacon amidst the darkness of the surroundings. Speaking of this, do you guys think that there is an actual? I mean, nothing is, is you know you can't attribute to Machiavellian scheming what can easily be explained as just plain old stupidity and ignorance. But in the case of ESCOM, do you think it's going to have any impact? It's almost like a a really big election ad against the ANC that we're going through all this load shedding now. And it's especially bad this week, the week before the elections. Do you think that that's by mistake? Or do you think that it's just God trying to uh, to remind us why uh, the ruling party needs no no respect and care over this, this uh, particular election period? Look, the thing is, you cannot undo decades of lack of maintenance mm. on uh, on the various components that feed this grid. And this entire grid that we have right now is just so dependent on all of the components being working together at the same time that when you have the slightest hiccup on one of them, the entire house of cars then comes uh, tumbling down. Mm. And that's exactly what we've been seeing uh, happening right now. So, no, I don't think that there's anything Machiavellian uh, happening behind the scenes. I think this is this is just really a, what a, happens yeah, when you don't uh, run things properly. Yeah, it, yeah, you don't run things properly and... There is going to be pain on an ongoing basis. The more interesting thing for me is when are all of these independent power producers going to come online and take strain off the grid? Because you know, ever yeah. since that, we're waiting. Um, uh, yeah, ever since uh, Matashe uh, gazetted the uh, upgrading of licenses from ten megawatts to hundred megawatts, uh, that you know, that's clearly an opportunity for lots of people who cannot afford to pay ESCOM's current prices mm-hmm. to come online because if you bring your own generators online right now, you can actually end up self-providing at a cheaper level. Um, of, co- of course, the, no, no, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was, no, no, I was going to say, talk, I don't want to talk over what, you. I've learned. <laughs> no, no, no. What, what might be holding them back is um, uh, a couple of things, but you know, so clearly, 
putting in new coal plants is not an option because no one's going to be putting money into new coal, even though coal is still the cheapest and most cost-effective way yeah. of, uh, of generating electricity. But running diesel and running gas, which are the, uh, the two main options that one could take a look at, uh, would have been an interesting thing to consider if Trump was still president of the U.S., but now with Biden in place, and we're going to be seeing $100 a barrel in terms of oil pretty soon. I mean, I don't know what it costs you to fill your tank these days, guys. But yeah, uh, it's over a thousand uh, rand. Yeah. Well, yeah, I've I've got a ninety-liter tank on my car, so it's it, it, it's Yay. a thousand. Yeah, so it's a thousand seven hundred <laughs> rand to fill my tank. Yo, okay. <clears throat> yeah. So, but what that means is that the ability to bring new electricity generation online, you know, even if you were considering it as a business alternative a couple of years ago, you're going to turn around now and say, no, hang on, I need to actually sit back and and have a look at this. Can I just change tack quickly to something which, and again, this is like the, the story of me with, um, with Zuli, but, you know, I was the villain of the week, and then I suddenly found myself displaced by Quentin de Kock, and I wondered whether you two had anything to say about this, because it is another sideshow which has taken the center stage, right? And we've got elections just around the corner, but Quentin de Kock not taking a knee has become a much bigger story than... ESCOM's rolling blackouts, which absolutely, definitely, positively affect all of us. Uh, Quentin de Kock's taking or not taking of the knee would have been something most of us would have just ignored, but it's become a huge story. So any comments on that, Pumi and Canton? You, you know, I wish Cricket SA would concentrate on winning some games. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, really, this is not me being funny, guys. You, you know, you, you know. Earlier, we were talking about inspiration. Yeah. Those, those things, those they're little things, right? But they kind of they add to a bigger psyche. I really do. I wish they like sent out a directive that says, "Guys, go and win," <laughs> rather than "Guys, go and take a knee." But anyway, what I'm do you say a, about it, Canton? Not a big fan of cricket. No, me neither. I would have had no problem with the team kind of saying, well, we're going to take the knee because, hey, you know, that's cool. Sure. The problem that I have is that when you have um, the uh, the cricketing authorities, which in this case is basically politicians, yeah. imposing a rule upon players, and, and that is my issue. You're removing the ability of those players um, to remain apolitical. It's it certainly, you know, I have no issue whatsoever with any player deciding that they they want to kneel um, in in favor of, of whatever, you know, the Church sure. of the Flying Spaghetti Monsters or uh, any anything of the sort. But when you have a decree that comes down from the part of a politician, how is it any different from people insisting that you give a Heil Hitler salute? Right. Now, really, because you insist that this is going to be the norm and this is how you must show, uh, pledge, you know, show allegiance. And no, <laughs> we can't have that in a free society. It's utter, utter rubbish. Yeah. And, have cricketers uh, know, they but, sorted out their shit? <laughs> they sorted out their internal squabblings. No, no they're, not, they're not. They're not going to do that. But uh, but you, but you see, Pumi, what they are using is the opportunity to actually create outrage around a person just saying that, you know, I have the right to not kneel. And I don't know about you guys, but, you know, would I kneel on command for anyone? Absolutely not. 
which is not to say that which is not to say that I don't kneel. I mean, for example, on the rare occasions when when I go to church, you know, atheist that I am, I, I do end up kneeling in church, just you know, simply out of respect for the for fellow churchgoers, <clears throat> you know, yeah. because and and that's a choice. But you know, if someone says, you know, kneel on demand, ah, uh-uh, I'm not going to do that. Um. You know, here's one. Here's a, a comment made by Rowan. Cricket South Africa has now made it mandatory for all players to kiss before the next game to adopt a unified stance, a stance against homophobia. But this is the kind of symbolic nonsense which is really just distracting. I mean, as Pumi says, we're not winning any matches. Cricket SA is, a, is in shambles. But this is a great way for them to suddenly... direct the attention elsewhere. And there's a lot of this going on in the world at the moment. I mean, you could see it with Boris in the UK and the things that he's not getting right, and he deflects by making it about other things that are completely unrelated. You can see this with the Biden administration. And you brought up Biden just a second ago, Canton, when you talked about the the oil price. But have you guys been paying attention to what's happening in, in U.S. politics? Have you been watching how the Biden administration is just scoring. Is unable to pass any no goals, no pass goals, anything through that Congress. And and they've got a border crisis. Afghanistan is already forgotten. Do you remember what a big deal that was a couple of weeks ago? Nobody cares about Afghanistan anymore. No one's interested. Mm-hmm. Instead, we're all talking about Dave Chappelle. You know, um, the the border crisis is an enormous problem in America right now. There are people streaming across the Mexican border into America and being bussed to places all over the country, especially unaccompanied minors. And nobody's talking about this. They're pretending it's perfectly normal. Um, there, are, there is a big uh, contest on in Virginia at the moment for governor, which could really throw a spoke in the wheels, or a spanner in the wheels, rather, of the Biden administration's plans to, to keep advancing an agenda which is very unpopular in America. What do you guys think of this? There's an interesting thing that um, has been happening over the, the recent past from uh, from Steve Bannon's quarters. And you know that he's basically, he was the brains behind Trump's getting elected in the first place. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I caught a snippet of an interesting plan that he came up with. Aren't they trying to send him is, to jail, by the way? Aren't they trying to charge him with something? Well, they've, they've, charged, him with, they've, they've charged him with contempt of Congress, which... You know, which pretty much means nothing because it just means that he gets censured. Mm. But uh, you know, it's not a criminal offence to you know refuse to um, uh, to come and uh, and bow before Congress. So uh, essentially, they want him to talk about the uh, the events that happened on the uh, the January sixth riots, and uh, uh, and of course, Trump is claiming executive privilege in mm. terms of the fact that you know Bannon. Uh, purportedly was part of his advisory team. But the interesting thing is coming up in terms of the, uh, uh, the, the, the midterm elections, which are happening next year. Mm-hmm. And generally what happens in any presidential midterm is that the House flips. So when you have a Republican president, the House tends to flip to Democrat and, uh, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So, Assuming that things are still on track, that's very likely to happen this time around. So you, because already I think there's only about a three-seat majority that the Democrats have yeah. uh, in the House. So on on the assumption that the Republicans are able to turn that around, then that's going to make a huge difference. But the interesting thing that Bannon has come up with 
is he's come up with this idea that Trump needs to run for the House. <clears throat> and then when the Republicans end up winning the House, then Trump ends up becoming Speaker. <laughs> and then Trump and then Trump ends up leading an impeachment of Biden. <laughs> and, and, and I've been sitting and watching this with That'd a huge hilarious. smile on my face. It'll be hilarious, you know? I mean, this is exactly the type of drama that we need to shake up the sleepy world of politics that we've got right now. Because things have been so boring since Trump left the scene. <laughs> but if that, you know, if that did happen, sorry, Pumi, if that did happen, I mean, you, you're going to end up with, with Joe Biden, who's pretty much been a lame duck from day one, because he hasn't, as Pumi said, been able to pass any meaningful uh, legislation. He hasn't been able to get approval of any of these huge spending uh, budgets that he's trying to get hold of. Um, if, if the Republicans do win the House, then, then we have a real lame duck. Then he's going to sit there for the next two years and do nothing, absolutely nothing, because he won't be able to do anything. Pumi, Unless over, he gets over, impeached. Over to you. <laughs> Guys, we, we need, I, I don't think we need any of that kind of excitement. I think we just need like to get that knuckle down and do some work. Like across the board, not just in America, even here in South Africa, you're speaking of midterms, right? <laughs> The first thing, so Ino Kodungwan, a new finance minister, mm. guess what? Mm. He's moving the midterm budget speech. I'm just like, what? What? Guy, this is the, you're here for this one thing, right? You're here <laughs> to give us direction about the budgets. Yeah. And, and how much, how much we do or do not have, what we can and cannot spend. And, and the guy is like, and this is the distraction. This is yeah. the distractions that we keep getting caught up in you know, keep getting lost in. No one's having the conversation about our broke state and what will happen good when point. we can pay our debts. I, like, I, I can't help distractions. Myself. People just need to get, just do their jobs. I had to bring up the distractions this morning and there are enough of them to keep us busy all day. Uh, when we come back here for a second and, and we've only got like five or six minutes left of the show this morning, but uh, this whole thing that's been going on about Cape independence, uh, I haven't really asked you to and, and garnered your opinion on this is there any strong feeling either way from either of you about cape independence or you just think it's a it's, a, it's an unlikely impossible scenario and a pipe dream are we talking about actual independence or yeah. are we talking about the ability of the party to actually get, um, garner the traction because those are, yeah you see those are those are two different things i i think that the idea of cape independence resonates with lots of people and I think it's, it's one of those issues where the DA has dropped the ball because, you know, by stomping down very firmly on the idea of Cape independence, anyone who actually appreciates the idea is now looking elsewhere. And I must tell you, that's not the only place where the DA has dropped the ball. The other place where the DA has dropped the ball is in terms of vaccine mandates. Mm -hmm. Because there's, again, there's a very strong groundswell against the idea of, of vaccine mandates. And a lot of what I've been seeing in terms of the discussions that are happening on Facebook groups and WhatsApp groups and so forth is that that's a deal breaker for lots of people. Yeah. In in terms. Of, so, but going back to the the question of uh, of, of Cape Independence, you know, so the DA could have seized the opportunity there to say, well, you know, if we actually go along with federalism as the DA has always been proposing which means devolution of authority down to uh, the provincial level. Right. That's effectively pushing, you know, getting all of the benefits of, uh, of independence 
without breaking off and forming a separate country. And, you know, maybe we should look at that as a starting point before we consider uh, throwing out the baby with the bathwater. Okay. Pums? So, but again, it's, it's a lost opportunity. Pums, what do you think of Cape Independence? I think, again, it's distractions, right? It's distractions because the people that are having that conversation, <laughs> there are many conversations that need to be had. And for us to concentrate on that conversation without kind of, there's so much stuff that needs to be fixed across the board, across the board, before we can try and have a new separate country on its own. And whether it's the federalism that, that Canton is talking about, which was, you know, if I if I remember back, even at the beginning of what had, was to become our new country, mm. this was a conversation that that was being had by at many different courts. Yeah. But you know, we've got so many things that we've gotten wrong over the past twenty five years that we're we're stuck in a rut that we need to fix and get out of before we can have these bigger conversations. I think. Well, I remember, Gareth, I don't know if you remember that, you know, prior to the 1996 uh, Constitution actually being adopted, we were significantly further down the path of federalism than we are right now, because then we we didn't have a National Council of Provinces. We actually Mm -hmm. had a Senate Mm -hmm. and the uh, and the mandate on the uh, behalf of the Senate was uh, was was very different to the National Council of Provinces, you know, which frankly right now is just a rubber stamp for many things. Absolutely, so it is. It's not. It's not as though we haven't been there before. I think we missed a we missed a real trick by not having a senate and not giving the provinces a little bit more say in in, in important national issues, and giving them this, the ability to make those decisions at at a provincial level would have probably brought things a little closer to people, and allowed them to make more important changes in their own specific areas. And you know, all of that's been proven to be quite handy in the American system. Um, even even if in South Africa we had different reasons for bringing in the National Council of Provinces and traditional leaders and all that kind of thing, in that case it might have been something we could have done better. So one last thing, and to wrap this up, because we're going to go full circle. So where we started with all of this uh, controversy, and we talk about the, the DA and their own goals. I mean, a lot of people... Um, are talking about Alan Windy in the, in the Western Cape. If we're going to talk about Cape Independence, he's probably been the one who's done the DA the least amount of good in terms of talking about this Cape Independence thing because he's been firmly against it from the get-go. But I did end last week's conversation with uh, Mudzuli and with uh, John Stenhazen by saying, guys, I would have voted for either of you if you had come down hard against lockdowns. Canton brings up vaccine mandates are there any other kind of third rail or hot button issues that you think could come up and could help a party in these elections with you know time running out on the clock is there anything that you see as a potential area of them gaining huge votes maybe you know julius was saying the other day have as many children as you can the state will pay for them did you see that headline and i mean this is a thing so maybe that's his line but what should the others be looking at well, I certainly think that the crackdown on private security firms has also been high on the uh, the list of things that people have been uh, been talking about. Uh, the entire uh, uh, reaction to the way in which the uh, people who were arrested in, in Phoenix were treated versus the way in which the rioters were treated mm-hmm. has been getting lots of traction. So I think that parties that are addressing those things 
are actually going to be gaining traction to a large extent. And, you know, so those are two areas where the ANC has not been uh, at the forefront. The EFF certainly has not been at the forefront in, in terms of those. Vaccine mandates, yeah, and just the entire concept of lockdowns as well. I think that there's there's a lot of behind-the-scenes simmering that, that happens around that. And again, it would have been an opportunity for the DA, for example, to have been you know, far more forthright in terms of what their actual views were in terms of lockdowns, in terms of the curbs on alcohol, which, mm-hmm. you know, again, in terms of the wine industry, it is is absolutely massive. Yeah. And there were opportunities that, that, that were lost out there. And I, th- I think that no one actually ended up seizing those. I think the biggest hot button issue that all the parties, even EFF's feeble attempt at it, missed out on is unemployment. Yeah. It's unemployment. So, and, and that has a, you know, it's kind of like the golden uh, ring that holds them, that binds them all because it, it has a, <laughs> it, it, ha- it has a knock on effect on everything. You know, so if you think about the lockdowns, one of the biggest things about the lockdowns for a lot of people was it curbed their earning potential, right? People lost jobs. Uh, if you think about the price of food and petrol and because people are unemployed, if you think about this, the municipalities not being able to raise the kind of funds that they need to deliver the services that they have, it's because people are not working and yeah. people don't have money. It's a hot button issue that they have all missed out on and nobody is giving nobody is giving a clear plan nobody is saying this is how they're going to stimulate economic growth and this is how it's going to impact on job on joblessness and kind of giving opportunity the fact that we've got so many young people without an opportunity to find meaningful work we have got we're sitting on if anything a ticking time bomb Everybody yeah. keeps saying we're sitting on a ticking time bomb. The conditions are right for a revolution. Well, that's, Too many uh, idle hands. Uh, that's that's a, a, an interesting note to leave it on. We're going to curb our own enthusiasm at this point because uh, Linda says, enjoyed this discussion, guys. Uh, love to you all and get ready for the EFF next week. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if Linda's causing trouble or if, if, uh, if they're trying to just be... <laughs> be as, as controversial as you and Canton have been this morning. Canton, Just me, go and vote, Linda. Go yeah. and vote. Thank you so much. And as they said, vote anytime because they're not going to be any cues. So <laughs> go and vote and make a difference, even if you think you're, you're just take, taking part in a pantomime or whatever. But it's worth, it's worth doing. This is your chance. All right, everybody. Thank you. That is The Burning Platform. And we will see you next week for the same at uh, the same time here on cliffcentral.com. Tomorrow I'll be back, and we are doing a show on Monday on voting day. So um, if you're going to... uh, From a voting station? No, we'll just be doing it from our usual places. No, because there's... Yeah, no, no. Which voting station are we going to go to? They're not going to be open at 6. Are they? Are they open that early? (laughs) All right. I think they open at 7. Okay. Well, we're not going to be doing it from the the voting stations, but we will be here on Monday. All right, everybody. Have a happy day. Cheers. Bye-bye. Cliffcentral.com